Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know? Several studies suggest that music enhances sleep because of its effects on the regulation of hormones, including the stress hormone cortisol. Being stressed and having elevated levels of cortisol can increase alertness and lead to poor sleep. Listening to music decreases levels of cortisol, which may explain why it helps put people at ease and release stress. I truly hope you enjoy the music in this episode. It was made specifically for us, using methods to promote deep sleep. Hello. And welcome to Sound Sleep, a storytelling podcast with curated audio specifically designed to improve the quality of your sleep. I'm your host, Adam. Thanks for joining me. As a professional audio engineer, I've spent over 15 years studying how audio can influence us and how the right audio can lower your heart rate, calm your nerves, help you fall asleep faster, and improve the quality of your sleep. I also love a great story, and I hope you do too. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a positive review if you haven't yet, wherever you found this podcast. And please be sure to follow the feed so that you always have each episode ready to help you with a refreshing sound sleep. Also, if you would like to support this podcast and receive ad-free episodes and exclusive content, then please subscribe to the show. You can learn more about that in the show notes. Looking for even more stories to listen to and fall asleep with? Check out one of my favorites, Dreamful. Jordan has an amazing selection of the best stories and perfectly pairs them with music that she personally selects. 
you'll be snoozing in no time to pride and prejudice. The wonderful Wizard of Oz. Or you could easily get hooked on her 12-part Constellation series. Check out Dreamful wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Coach Me Greg. If you're like me, you have a lot of big ideas and plans. You want to be productive and get fulfillment out of your life. And if you're like me, you may feel like sometimes you need a little help to be your best, to keep you on target and motivated so you can achieve what you set out to do. So if you're like me, well, then you should go to coachmegreg.com. I've received tremendous value from working with Greg. He's easy to talk with, and there's no judgment. I can count on him to help me find the best solution and schedule. He makes everything very easy, and I find it very helpful to have someone I can trust working with me and rooting for me as I try to get the most out of life that I can. Go to coachmegreg.com. Schedule your free consultation today. Before we begin our story, I'd like you to visualize the most comfortable winter setting you can imagine. A place of peace and happiness possibly in front of a warm fireplace with your favorite blanket maybe reading a book with a hot drink in your favorite cafe whatever your perfect idea of warmth and happiness Maybe let these feelings of comfort and contentment take over your body and feel their energy as you sink into your bed. Stay with that pleasant feeling as we begin our story. As you listen, allow this warmth, comfort, bring you deep into a sound sleep. We now return to Rip Van Winkle by Washington Irving. On waking, he found himself on the green knoll whence he had first seen the old man of the glen. He rubbed his eyes. It was a bright, sunny morning. 
the birds were hopping and twittering among the bushes, and the eagle was wheeling aloft and breasting the pure mountain breeze. Surely, thought Rip, I have not slept here all night. He recalled the occurrences before he fell asleep. The strange man with a keg of liquor, the mountain ravine, the wild retreat among the rocks, the woe-begone party at nine pins, the flagon. Oh, that flagon, that wicked flagon, thought Rip. What excuse shall I make to Dame Van Winkle? He looked round for his gun, but in place of the clean, well-oiled fowling piece, he found an old firelock lying by him, the barrel encrusted with rust, the lock falling off, and the stock worm-eaten. He now suspected that the grave roisters of the mountain had put a trick upon him, and having dosed him with liquor, had robbed him of his gun. Wolf, too, had disappeared, but he might have strayed away after a squirrel or partridge. He whistled after him and shouted his name, but all in vain. The echoes repeated his whistle and shout, but no dog was to be seen. He determined to revisit the scene of the last evening's gamble, and if he met with any of the party, to demand his dog and gun. He determined to revisit the scene of the last evening's gamble, and if he met with any of the party, to demand his dog and gun. As he rose to walk, he found himself stiff in the joints and wanting in his usual activity. These mountain beds do not agree with me, thought Rip. And if this frolic should lay me up with a fit of the rheumatism, I shall have a blessed time with Dame Van Winkle. With some difficulty, he got down into the glen. He found the gully up which he and his companion had ascended the preceding evening. But to his astonishment, a mountain stream was now foaming down it, leaping from rock to rock and filling the glen with babbling murmurs. He, however, made shift to scramble up its sides, working his toilsome way through thickets of birch, sassafras, and witch hazel, and sometimes tripped up or entangled by the wild grapevines that twisted their coils or tendrils from tree to tree and spread a kind of network in his path. At length, he reached to where the ravine had opened through the cliffs to the amphitheater, but no traces of such opening remained. The rocks presented a high, impenetrable wall over which the torrent came tumbling in a sheet of feathery foam and fell into a broad, deep basin, black from the shadows of the surrounding forest. Here then, poor Rip, was brought to a stand. He again called and whistled after his dog. He was only answered by the cawing of a flock of idle crows. 
sporting high in air about a dry tree that overhung a sunny precipice, and who, secure in their elevation, seemed to look down and scoff at the poor man's perplexities. What was to be done? The morning was passing away, and Rip felt famished for want of his breakfast. He grieved to give up his dog and gun. He dreaded to meet his wife. But it would not do to starve among the mountains. He shook his head, shouldered the rusty firelock, and with a heart full of trouble and anxiety, turned his steps homeward. As he approached the village, he met a number of people, but none whom he knew, which somewhat surprised him, for he had thought himself acquainted with everyone in the country round. Their dress, too, was of a different fashion from that to which he was accustomed. They all stared at him with equal marks of surprise, and whenever they cast their eyes upon him, invariably stroked their chins. The constant recurrence of this gesture induced Rip involuntarily to do the same, when to his astonishment he found his beard had grown a foot long. He had now entered the skirts of a village. A troop of strange children ran at his heels, hooting after him and pointing at his gray beard. The dogs, too, not one of which he recognized for an old acquaintance, barked at him as he passed. The very village was altered. It was larger and more populous. There were rows of houses which he had never seen before, and those which had been his familiar haunts had disappeared. Strange names were over the doors, strange faces at the windows. Everything was strange. His mind now misgave him. He began to doubt whether both he and the world around him were not bewitched. Surely this was his native village, which he had left but the day before. There stood the Catskill Mountains. There ran the Silver Hudson at a distance. There was every hill and dale precisely as it had always been. Rip was sorely perplexed. That flagon last night, thought he, has addled my poor head sadly. It was with some difficulty that he found his way to his own house, which he approached with silent awe expecting every moment to hear the shrill voice of Dame Van Winkle. He found the house gone to decay, the roof fallen in, the windows shattered, and the doors off the hinges. A half-starved dog that looked like Wolf was sulking about it. Rip called him by name, but the cur snarled, showed his teeth, and passed on. This was an unkind cut indeed. My very dog, sighed poor Rip, has forgotten me. He entered the house, which, to tell the truth, Dame Van Winkle had always kept in neat order. 
it was empty, forlorn, and apparently abandoned. This desolateness overcame all his fears. He called loudly for his wife and children. The lonely chambers rang for a moment with his voice, and then all again was silence. He now hurried forth and hastened to his old resort, the village inn. But it too was gone. A large, rickety wooden building stood in its place, with great gaping windows, some of them broken and mended with old hats and petticoats, and over the door was painted The Union Hotel by Jonathan Doolittle, instead of the great tree that used to shelter the quiet little Dutch inn of yore. There now was reared a tall, naked pole, with something on the top that looked like a red nightcap, and from it was fluttering a flag on which was a singular assemblage of stars and stripes. All this was strange and incomprehensible. He recognized on the sign, however, the ruby face of King George, under which he had smoked so many a peaceful pipe. But even this was singularly metamorphosed. The red coat was changed for one of blue and buff. A sword was held in the hand instead of a scepter. The head was decorated with a cocked hat, and underneath was painted in large characters, General Washington. There was, as usual, a crowd of folk about the door, but none that Rip recollected. The very character of the people seemed changed. There was a busy, bustling, disputatious tone about it, instead of the accustomed phlegm and drowsy tranquility. He looked in vain for the sage Nicholas Vedder, with his broad face, double chin, and fair long pipe, uttering clouds of tobacco smoke instead of idle speeches. Or Van Bumel, the schoolmaster doling forth the contents of an ancient newspaper. In place of these, a lean, bilious-looking fellow, with his pockets full of handbills, was haranguing vehemently about rights of citizens, elections, members of Congress, liberty, Bunker's Hill, heroes of 76, and other words, which were a perfect Babylonish jargon to the bewildered Van Winkle. The appearance of Rip with his long, grizzled beard, his rusty, fowling piece, his uncouth dress, and an army of women and children at his heels soon attracted the attention of the tavern politicians. They crowded around him, eyeing him from head to foot with great curiosity. The orator bustled up to him and, drawing him partly aside, inquired, On which side he voted? Rip stared in vacant stupidity. Another short but busy little fellow pulled him by the arm and, rising on tiptoe, inquired in his ear, Whether he was federal or democrat? Rip was equally at a loss to comprehend the question when a knowing, self-important old gentleman in a sharp cocked hat made his way through the crowd, 
putting them to the right and left with his elbows as he passed, and planting himself before Van Winkle. With one arm akimbo, the other resting on his cane, his keen eyes and sharp hat penetrating, as it were, into his very soul, demanded in an austere tone, What brought him to the election with a gun on his shoulder and a mob at his heels, and whether he meant to breed a riot in the village? Alas, gentlemen, cried Rip, somewhat dismayed, I am a poor, quiet man, a native of this place, and a loyal subject of the king, God bless him. Here a general shout bursts from the bystanders. A Tory! A Tory! A spy! A refugee! Hustle him! Away with him! It was with great difficulty that the self-important man in the cocked hat restored order, and having assumed a tenfold austerity of brow, demanded again of the unknown culprit what he came there for and whom he was seeking. The poor man humbly assured him that he meant no harm, but merely came there in search of some of his neighbors who used to keep about the tavern. Well, who are they? Name them. Rip bethought himself a moment and inquired, Where's Nicholas Vedder? There was a silence for a little while when an old man replied in a thin, piping voice, Nicholas Vedder? Why, he's dead and gone these eighteen years. There was a wooden tombstone in the churchyard that used to tell all about him, but that's rotten and gone too. Where's Brom Dutcher? Oh, he went off to the army in the beginning of the war. Some say he was killed at the storming of Stony Point. Others say he was drowned in a squall at the foot of Antony's nose. I don't know. He never came back again. Where's Van Bumolt, the schoolmaster? He went off to the wars too, was a great militia general, and is now in Congress. And is now in Congress. Rip's heart died away at hearing of these sad changes in his home and friends, and finding himself thus alone in the world. Every answer puzzled him, too, by treating of such enormous lapses of time and of matters which he could not understand. War, Congress, Stony Point. He had no courage to ask after any more friends, but cried out in despair. Does anybody here know Rip Van Winkle? Oh, Rip Van Winkle, exclaimed two or three. Oh, to be sure, that's Rip Van Winkle yonder, leaning against the tree. Rip looked, and beheld a precise counterpart of himself. As he went up to the mountain, apparently as lazy and certainly as ragged, the poor fellow was now completely confounded. He doubted his own identity, and whether he was himself or another man. In the midst of his bewilderment, the man in the cocked hat demanded who he was. And what was his name? God knows, exclaimed he at his wit's end. I'm not myself. I'm somebody else. That's me yonder. No, no, that's somebody else got into my shoes. I was myself last night, but I fell asleep on the mountain, and they've changed my gun, and everything's changed, and I'm changed, and I can't tell what's my name or who I am. 
the bystanders began now to look at each other, nod, wink significantly, and tap their fingers against their foreheads. There was a whisper, also, about securing the gun and keeping the old fellow from doing mischief, at the very suggestion of which the self-important man in the cocked hat retired with some precipitation. At this critical moment, a fresh, comely woman pressed through the throng to get a peep at the gray-bearded man. She had a chubby child in her arms, which frightened at his looks began to cry. Hush, Rip, cried she. Hush, you little fool. The old man won't hurt you. The name of the child, the air of the mother, the tone of her voice, all awakened a train of recollections in his mind. What is your name, my good woman? asked he. Judith Gardnier. And your father's name? Ah, poor man. Rip Van Winkle was his name, but it's twenty years since he went away from home with his gun and never has been heard of since. His dog came home without him, but whether he shot himself or was carried away by the Indians, nobody can tell. I was then but a little girl. Rip had but one question more to ask, but he put it with a faltering voice. Where's your mother? Oh, she too had died but a short time since. She broke a blood vessel in a fit of passion at a New England peddler. There was a drop of comfort, at least, in this intelligence. The honest man could contain himself no longer, and her child in his arms. I'm your father! he cried. Young Rip Van Winkle once, old Rip Van Winkle now. Does nobody know poor Rip Van Winkle? All stood amazed, until an old woman, tottering out from among the crowd, put her hand to her brow, and peering under it in his face for a moment, exclaimed, Sure enough, it is Rip Van Winkle, it is himself. Welcome home again, old neighbor. Why, where have you been these twenty long years? Rip's story was soon told, for the whole twenty years had been to him but as one night. The neighbors stared when they heard it. Some were seen to wink at each other and put their tongues in their cheeks, and the self-important man in the cocked hat, who when the alarm was over, had returned to the field screwed down the corners of his mouth and shook his head, upon which there was a general shaking of the head throughout the assemblage. It was determined, however, to take the opinion of old Peter Vanderdonk, who was seen slowly advancing up the road. He was a descendant of the historian of that name, who wrote one of the earliest accounts of the province. Peter was the most ancient inhabitant of the village and well-versed in all the wonderful events and traditions of the neighborhood. He recollected Rip at once, and corroborated his story in the most satisfactory manner. He assured the company that it was, in fact, handed down from his ancestor, the historian, that the Catskill Mountains had always been haunted by strange beings, that it was affirmed that the great Hendrick Hudson the first discoverer of the river and country kept a kind of vigil there every twenty years with his crew of the half moon 
being permitted in this way to revisit the scenes of his enterprise and keep a guardian eye upon the river and the great city called by his name that his father had once seen them in their old Dutch dresses playing at nine pins in a hollow of the mountain and that he himself had heard one summer afternoon the sound of their balls like distant peals of thunder to make a long story short the company broke up and returned to the more important concerns of the election rip's daughter took him home to live with her she had a snug well-furnished house and a stout cheery farmer for a husband whom rip recollected for one of the urchins that used to climb upon his back as to rip's son and heir who was the ditto of himself seen leaning against the tree he was employed to work on the farm but evinced an hereditary disposition to attend to anything else but his business rip now resumed his old walks and habits he soon found many of his former cronies though all rather the worse for the wear and tear of time and preferred making friends among the rising generation with whom he soon grew into great favor having nothing to do at home and being arrived at that happy age when a man can be idle with impunity he took his place once more on the bench at the inn door and was reverenced as one of the patriarchs of the village and a chronicle of the old times before the war it was some time before he could get into the regular track of gossip or could be made to comprehend the strange events that had taken place during his torpor how that there had been a revolutionary war that the country had thrown off the yoke of old england and that instead of being a subject of his majesty george the third he was now a free citizen of the united states rip in fact was no politician the changes of states and empires made but little impression on him but there was one species of despotism under which he had long groaned and that was petticoat government happily that was at an end he had got his neck out of the yoke of matrimony and could go in and out whenever he pleased without dreading the tyranny dame van winkle whenever her name was mentioned however he shook his head shrugged his shoulders and cast up his eyes which might pass either for an expression of resignation to his fate or joy at his deliverance he used to tell his story to every stranger that arrived at mr doolittle's hotel he was observed at first to vary on some points every time he told it which was doubtless owing to his having so recently awaked it at last settled down precisely to the tale i have related and not a man woman or child in the neighborhood but knew it by heart some always pretended to doubt the reality of it and insisted that rip had been out of his head and that this one point on which he always remained flighty the old dutch inhabitants however almost universally gave it full credit even to this day 
they never hear a thunderstorm of a summer afternoon about the Catskill. But they say Hendrick Hudson and his crew are at the game of nine pins. And it is a common wish of all hen-pecked husbands in the neighborhood, when life hangs heavy on their hands, that they might have a quieting draft out of Rip Van Winkle's flagon. <laughs> 